Why don't we all stand? I want to read a little passage out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, as you're standing, real quickly, what we've been looking at is this book. Is, uh, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter, uh, one of Jesus' close relational disciples. Uh, he's writing to a community of Christians that are scattered all around the ancient Roman world that were trying to live a faithful life to Jesus in the midst of a culture that was constantly pushing back and hostile towards them. And this is Peter's attempt to encourage them, to say, keep doing what God has called you to do. And one of the things that we've been looking at over the past several weeks is there's a really unique way in which Peter says to be a distinct people group within a larger people group that is hostile towards you. In other words, what he says is live in such a way that you do good. So we've been just kind of describing the big paradigm is to be people that are deeply devoted to goodness, um, a, a revolution of goodness, a culture of goodness. These, this is how Peter's saying, live as people that are deeply devoted to embodying a lifestyle of goodness. So that when people attack you and they're angry with you and they want to shove you off in the margins, when they want to cancel you, that they'll have to step back and realize, this guy's not really a jerk. He's not condescending. He's not rude. There's something about this person or these people, this people group, that is, it's, it's causing me to not really know exactly what to do with them. Um, and the language that he wants for us to embody is this concept of, of goodness. And so with that being said, I want to read this little passage again. We're really going to be focusing on verse 7, but I want to give, 17, but I want to give a little bit of a context uh, again as we jump into this. So, uh, verse 13 says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17, the main one I want to look at. Honor everyone. Okay, we looked at that last week. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And this is the word of the Lord. And I want to pray, and we'll jump in. Jesus, right now, uh, we devote our time, our attention, our thoughts, our mind, our everything to you. We ask that you would speak to us. Help me, God. Help my words just to be able to bring clarity. And uh, we submit ourselves to you, Jesus, as our king. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all grab a seat? So the little phrase I want to really focus on is this little movement where he says, love the brotherhood, love the brotherhood. In, in the Greek, it's actually two words. That's it. It's two words. Uh, agapao, adelpho. Uh, the idea is love, agape. We get the word there, agape. And then brotherhood. So he says, love the brotherhood. So what I want to do is, um, I want to do something we've not done in this series yet, is we're going to basically take two weeks and look at two words. That's it. That's it. You're welcome for that, by the way. You're like, man, we're really moving at a snail's pace. That's exactly what's happening. Again, like I said at the very beginning, we're not, we're not trying to rush through this. We're really just trying to let the scripture inform our understanding in places where we need to slow down a little bit. We're going to slow down a little bit and savor. Places that we're going to speed up a little bit, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that. But what I want to really focus on is this idea, this larger context of how does doing good correlate, correspond to this concept of loving the brotherhood? Now, let me ask a question. Have you guys ever met Christians that are like not good? 
<laughs> it's a stupid question, right? Of course we have. Of course we have. You just got to turn on television or watch any social media for any length of time, and you realize that there are bombastic, horrible human beings out there that also go by the label of Christian. They exist. Some of us are them, all right? Some of us, you save that person every single morning. So it's just a, there's a horribleness about us, the way that we oftentimes act. It's like, I mean, if you have lived any length of time, you realize that as much as you have tried to do good, you realize there are moments that you just can't even control it. I mean, even for me, I've been studying this this past several weeks, this very context right here, this subject matter, and developing and trying to create patterns in my life or habits in my life that help me to cultivate love. And even while I'm driving to church this morning, I'm thinking of people that are causing my anxiety levels to rise. I'm getting angry and frustrated. I'm like, oh, I find myself like talking to myself. You guys ever do that? Or am I just the only one? And you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be talking about this in like 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm angry already. Why does this happen? Because all of us are, are in some place of development, growing. I mean, we need this. We need to be confronted. This is one of the reasons why we gather together every single week. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you. Make it a regular rhythmic habit to come together, not forsake the gathering, because we need, we need to consistently be reminded, not of what you should do, but what God has done for you. We need not just regular instruction. We need gospel. We need to be reminded of how good God is and what God has done for us. And that transforms, that changes everything. A lot of times church can be about like, hey, how did you do on the list of to-dos this past week? Oh, you failed? Horrible human being. We'll pray for you. And you're like, oh, okay, I got my weekly like brow beating and I didn't even have my cup on this week and I feel horrible. The fact of the matter is, that's not what Christianity should be about. Christianity should be about coming to Jesus and recognizing what he's done for us. The love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts does something to transform and shape us. So we, we need, we need good news. We need the gospel. So what I want to do is we begin to think about this idea where he says, love the brotherhood. I don't want to assume anything. I want to jump right in and I want to begin to try to let the scripture inform our understanding as to what does this word love actually mean. Even before we begin to look at the subject of who love should be directed towards, which I'll, I'll just you know, spoiler, the word uh, Adelphoi is the idea of a brother. Other Christians is what he's saying. Do you know any other Christians that absolutely drive you crazy? Maybe angry? Do any, does anybody have that? Does anybody have that like crazy uncle that shows up at Thanksgiving and I can't stand this guy? All he wants to talk about is like politics and end times. And that's it. It's like that's always on the menu of items just to discuss and debate and argue over. And specifically, Peter says, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. How do we do that? Again, before we even begin to look at the subject of how, like doing that, I want to first of all just really savor uh, what the word love actually means. And again, like I said, let scripture kind of fill in the context of what that all looks like. Because again, this is, as I mentioned, all in the context of doing good. So apparently, as we love other fellow followers of Jesus, we are living out, embodying the goodness of God. And I think we can all agree Christianity needs a, a, a good reboot towards goodness. I think all of us could agree with that. And I don't think we need to be ashamed about that. That's just part of life. It's part of humanity. 
that's part of the beauty of the gospel, actually, is that the gospel actually has a self-corrective like, mode in it that when we drift and we start being bad or acting improperly or being can- cantankerous on social media or being downright, downright rude or just you know, throwing people under the bus or being abusive with power or whatever types of things that Christians can be guilty of doing, the self-corrective nature of the gospel is it brings us right back to Jesus, humbles us, we repent, and then God sets us out in a brand new path. So that, that's, what I, that's what I hope to look at here this morning as we consider this idea of love. So what I'm going to do is we jump in. I'm going to let, again, the scriptural narrative inform our understanding. Next slide, we'll jump in. And uh, as we look at this, uh, next slide, we'll jump in ahead. And uh, we'll look at this real fast in the Old Testament. So the ancient Old Testament Hebrew word for love, um, one of the most predominant ones is ahava. Ahava. Um, the first time that the word ahava appears actually in the entire Bible um, is when Genesis 22, where God actually says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. And you know the rest of the story. I'm not going to necessarily go into it other than to highlight the fact this is the very first occasion in which the word love got, actually kind of gets some form of uh, stage. Love, love between father and his son. And then one of the more common and familiar phrases that appears is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against anyone uh, of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And a lot of times we tend to think of Jesus being the one who uh, familiarized that or stated that. Jesus was not innovative at all with that. He, I mean, he, of course, spirit breathed that through the writing of Moses. But the point of the matter is, is that Jesus is basically just drawing from the Old Testament wisdom that was already, already preexistent for, you know, thousand plus years. And he was saying, that, look, look, this is, you guys know what Moses stated. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. So that's kind of the Old Testament usage. I want to jump now into the New Testament because that's what we're going to be predominantly focusing on in terms of how this particular word gets used. So um, I want to just kind of highlight some of the major players in the New Testament, major characters in the New Testament that actually use this particular word, agape or agapeo. Again, we just looked at Peter. Peter uses it. He says, have a brotherly love or love agape, the, the brotherhood, love the Christians all those that are devoted to Jesus. Again, if you're wondering, like, how come he's omitting um, non-Christians? He's actually not, because we just read, he says, honor everybody. The big idea is that all human beings, just simply because they bear the image of God, that was last week. So my encouragement would be to check out the message from last week. Uh, Jesus actually uses this phrase. We'll read how Jesus uses this, and then we'll jump on to the Apostle Paul, and then we'll uh, look at the Apostle John as each one of these New Testament authoritative voices actually utilizes this really important word, agape. And from that, we'll begin to develop an understanding as to what the word agape actually means before we begin to think about even the subject of who agape, who we are to agape. Does that make sense? So good. So Jesus says this in a dialogue. He says, one of the scribes asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Verse 29, Jesus then answered. He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then verse 31, he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So what Jesus does is this ancient Hebraic tradition called string of pearls, where it's basically bringing together different passages of the old testament text and saying this is this is how it all kind of works together um his whole point is he borrows from deuteronomy which is called the shema um hero israel the lord your god is one he does that 
you have an obligation to God, a response to God, because God has actually initiated a relationship with you. And then he says, secondarily, you have a re- responsibility to love uh, other Hebrews and Israelites that are that are part of your, your tribe, part of your crew. And so the point that he wants them to understand is that all of these, these are the greatest of all commandments. So that's why I said the word um, agape is important because it's, it's linked to that word ahava that we just read in the Old Testament. Skip on forward, next slide, to the Apostle Paul, where Apostle Paul says something similar. Again, very similar idea in terms of this concept of loving, agape, your brother. Listen to how Paul says this. Let love be genuine. Um, from, from what? Can, can love be fake? <laughs> can love be fake? Anybody? Yeah? Can love be fake? Of course it can be fake. Um, Paul says, let it be genuine. Don't, don't let it be fake. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Then he goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. So again, this is Paul's uh, version of basically saying a very similar thing that Peter said, that Jesus said. Now listen to how the apostle John says it. Again, all of these are important authoritative voices in the New Testament that basically frame not only our understanding of who God is, but also frame for us in a, 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 a kind of a schematic as to how we're to live our lives. Um, so listen to how the Apostle John says this. Uh, this particular side goes on and says this. One thing that's kind of unique to me and interesting to me about John is if you're familiar with the, the, the narrative of uh, the Gospels, you know that John was one of these guys, I would maybe kind of put him in the category of being a hothead. Um, John, at one point with his brother, he's, they're hanging out with Jesus. They come into this village of people that are called Samaritans. And, uh, I mean, if, if, if you really want to be frank, that the, the Jews had disdain towards Samaritans. You might want to call them racist because that's the, that's the big idea. They despised this ethnicity of Samaritans, despised them, and they somehow offended John. And John turns to Jesus and he's like, Jesus probably thinking he's doing a good thing. Do you want us to call down lightning from heaven to destroy them? And she's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Son of man didn't come to like slaughter people. And he's, he calls them sons of thunder. He's like, you guys are going to be called sons of thunder. That's your new nickname. But what's amazing is that through this process of John meeting Jesus, John being discipled by Jesus, John saying yes to Jesus, John's heart gets reshaped and reformatted, which means there's hope, there's hope, for all of us, you, you do not have to hold on to this lie that says you will never change, you will never get better, you will never progress, you are always doomed to have a horrible mouth, always doomed to have a heart that looks with disdain at other people. Man, the beauty of the gospel is that, no, Jesus, Jesus is the factor that changes everything. Jesus just was a part of changing John's life, and John, over the course of his life, gets transformed. And so John later would write these words. And listen to what he says. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, again, anybody, any dude that is going around casting down curses upon other people, at some point later on in his life starts using the language of, like, beloved. Like, think about that. Like, think about that. I mean, Conor McGregor, right? The guy's like an MMA, like, warrior. Imagine him being, like, beloved. You know, it's just like, this is not language that you would, like, associate with somebody that is a brawler. But that's, that's John. John, through the process of wrestling and being transformed by Jesus, Jesus changed him. I mean, Peter, for example, Peter speaks to his listeners. He's, he describes the same thing. He's like, beloved, you know, the precious promises of God. Like, what dude talks like that? Dudes that have been transformed by Jesus do. 
Because that's what Jesus does. He changes you. Changes you. And here's John. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So I'm going to go through this fairly quick, but I want to just at least begin to jump into trying to understand and break down just from the New Testament writings that we just read, predominantly the writings of John, because John kind of elaborates a lot more on this than anybody else. And so what I want for us to think about is this idea of what love is agape, this specifically this word agape. Because oftentimes I think within Christian circles, we typically just say, well, agape, that's, that's, the, that's the type of love that only God has. And I think there's a truth to that, but it's not entirely true because it's a love that God invites us to be transformed by and then for us to then show. But again, before we get to the question of like, how do we show it? I, I wanna just kind of ruminate upon the reality of the love that's there. So first of all, I wanna just look at a handful of different ways that describe for us what this love is. Four of them, we're not gonna go through all of them. I'll just kind of cast them out and then whatever we don't get done today, we'll pick up next week. So number one, we see that the love is from God. It comes from God. Secondly, we'll look at love. God is love. God is love. Verse 8 says, God is love. Uh, Thirdly, we see that this, in verse 9, this love is made manifest. In other words, it takes upon tangibility. It can be seen. It can be touched. It can be uh, sensed. It's known. And then fourthly, we see that it becomes this motivator for us to love one another. Again, we'll get there next week for sure. But this big idea, he says, uh, because God has loved us, now we then love Others. So something happens first. Before we just get our backpacks filled with this concept of like, go love other Christians. And in your mind, you're just like, how? They're horrible. We'll get there. We'll get there. First of all, let's just ruminate upon the idea of love. This love. So number one, we'll take a look at this idea that love is from God. Love is from God. So this agape comes from God. It's sourced in God, again, verse seven, love is from God. You know, when I think about this idea of love, our culture also has a construct of love. When we think about love, there's at least three different ways I think that our, our culture creates love. And I think if you were to ask common, just human beings that are maybe not devoted to the framework of Christianity or any other type of religious construct, that they would probably say one of these three things. There is an idea of love that number one is niceness. Love equals niceness. Just people that kind of have a disposition where they're always smiling or nice, like, oh, they're really loving. Maybe, maybe, but could be they're an axe murderer that's plotting your demise, but with a smile. It's possible. I've seen the movies. The point that I make is this, just because somebody's nice does not mean that they're loving. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? So niceness is not really love. The second way I think about love is, I think, in our culture, is this idea of tolerance. Now, there's an idea of tolerance that I would agree with. You know, we should be kind and generous to other people that are different than us, for sure, for sure. But I think there's an idea of tolerance that, especially within our culture, is what some have described as love turned in on itself. In other words, it's this idea of you do you, me do me, 
don't ever disrupt or interfere with how I want to live my life. And if you do, you're going to see a really bad, nasty side of me. It's tolerance. And tolerance is really not love. In fact, I would even go so far as to say tolerance, real genuine tolerance, is very narcissistic. Very narcissistic. Because it's this idea that basically says, I will do what I want to do, but if you contradict me, if you challenge me, if we have two differing opinions as to how someone should live their life or embody whatever goodness that they want to call goodness, and if it's distinct or different, then you will begin to really see how intolerant I am. So in other words, tolerance might sound really good. It might be the du jour concept or construct of love today, but it's really, it's not real, man. It just, let's just be, let's just be honest. It's not real. It doesn't exist. It sounds great in theory, but it's really not good in practice. It just does not simply work. And nobody really truly embodies it. Thirdly, it's this idea of desire, this concept that basically, but again, desire, even the word desire is an interesting way of love. Because on the one hand, we can say, like for me, I would say, I love my wife. I love dark chocolate. I love good ways. I love Trader Joe's, everything but the bagel, bagel salt. I love all of these things. But each one of them, I love them different degrees, right? Who else is a fan of the everything but the bagel salt? Yes, it's so good. It's literally the best thing at Trader Joe's. Um, we always have a backup on hand at home as well. But the point that I would make is, after digressing, is that the fact of the matter is this idea of desire is sort of fueled by this concept of consumption. I want to consume something. I want it, whatever it is, to be a part of me. And that could be expressed emotionally, sexually, physically, relationally. The big idea is I want to be satisfied by whatever that thing is, dark chocolate, my wife, whatever. (laughs) I want to be satisfied. It can be kind of a selfish type of a fueled thing. But the love of that's expressed in the Bible is distinct. And this is what I really want to land the plane on, is uh, just a little bit of a definition, a definition of this. Uh, next slide. As I think about this, uh, I'll give you kind of a long version, then I'll give you a short version. So a long version would be, this is something I just kind of crafted or created, and again, there might be some holes in it. You might have a different way of expressing That's fine, but this is kind of how I'm ex- choosing to express it. That love in the idea of agape, is it's it's a decision to actively devote oneself to another, desiring their good no matter the cost. So again, the decision to actively devote oneself to another, desiring their good no matter the cost. That's what agape is. Actively devoting. It's a decision, in other words. It's one of the reasons why in the New Testament where Jesus says, you know, love your neighbor, or Peter say, you know, have brotherly love towards... A lot of us, when we say, I just don't feel like loving, we're, we're just simply expressing we don't, we don't, we don't get it. We're not, we're not understanding the love that Jesus is, is describing. We're trying to understand a biblical love that Jesus is expressing through the lens of a, a culture-shaped love. And for us as, to be disciples, we have to think about it, these things in the mindset of Jesus. So the idea of agape is to make a decision, to say, I will devote my energies, my affections, my desires, whatever it is, for the other person's good. Now, is, is love costly? Of course it is. It's totally costly. It'll cost you everything. To love somebody, it's very costly. It'll get messy. It might even cost you financially. It'll cost you for sure emotionally because at some point, those people, that person is going to offend you. Then you got to deal with this costly uh, transaction called forgiveness That's extremely costly. It's brutal in some cases, but this is the point that we need to understand. So if you want a short definition, I'm going to land the plane on this, is just a simple phrase, loyal love. Agape is loyal love. I'm done. 
Otherwise, I'm going to just open my mouth. I'm going to talk again for another 45 minutes. So I'm going to stop myself. So why don't we all stand? And we're going to just ruminate on a thought of loyal love. Dan will come on up and he'll lead us. In just a closing song. If you're a parent, you'd like to go pick up your kiddo and bring him back in for some communion. That's great. You're more than welcome to do that. And then we're just going to respond by partaking of communion, and then we will finish. And uh, the communion elements are in the front or in the back. We will sing, and then we will partake of communion together. But I want for us to right now think about, if you have any prayer needs, anything going on in your life, anything that was said, anything that the Holy Spirit might just be speaking to you on. It might have been something that even Tom shared, or even something that came up in the message, or even in the announcements, or during a worship. Something, maybe, if the Lord is speaking to your heart on any level, any level. We want to pray for you. We have some leaders that are at the front that would love to just pray for you in this time. But I want for us to just, like I said, ruminate, think about, consider the loyal love of God. The word disloyal. I don't know what kind of emotions that brings up in you. Disloyal. For some, man, that's painful. Just even the word strikes a chord that just is painful. Disloyal. I want you to contrast that with agape. Loyal love. Loyal devotion. God is not just tolerating you. devoted to you. I'll leave you with this question. Where else in this world, where else will you find a love that will not fail, that will not be disloyal, that will not let you down, and that will never, ever run dry? So Jesus, right now, we come to you. We just come with open arms. We just confess, God, our, our brokenness, our, our sin, our need, our hurt, our pain, our anxieties. We just lay them at your feet. And we ask you, God, that as we look to the loyal love of God through Jesus that was displayed, reshape us, God, remake us, become like you.